Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 89 with Brene Brown of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan. I'm the CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine, and I am your host coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia. Now, let's jump in and talk about today's guest. Uh, You know, this was a really, really profound conversation, and we go really, really deep. Uh, You know, for those of you that are not familiar with Brene Brown's work, wow. I I know you're going to want to check it out after you listen to this conversation. I'll just leave it at that. Um, We talk about trust, vulnerability, leadership courage, being afraid to fail, fear, shame, sharing stories, and what it means if things don't work. And these are things that we all go through as entrepreneurs. So, you know, this is a really, really deep conversation. So much gold. I say this all the time, but we only give you the best stuff. Uh, We only let you have the best ever interviews and episodes that we have. So I know you're going to love this one. Not going to ramble anymore. If you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review on the App Store or Stitcher or SoundCloud, wherever you're listening. It helps so much. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump into the show. So the first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? Oh man, um, it was a really windy path. You know, um, I didn't graduate from college until I was 30. 
I took the, I was on the 12 year plan. I hitchhiked around Europe. I bartended a lot. Um, yeah. And just kind of had a lot of life experiences. Um, fell in love with social work, got my bachelor's degree in social work, and then really rapidly went and got my master's and my PhD and wanted to become an academic and a researcher. And so I became a researcher and a professor and in doing my work and my research, especially on shame, I kept, it was the first time I'd ever done research where people were asking me, you know, you're going to tell us what you find, right? You're going to tell us what you learn, right? And I was like, uh, no, I'm going to publish a peer-reviewed academic article that like four people read so I can get tenure. And I realized that just doesn't work. Like that does not work. And so I went to my dean and said, I'm going to quit. And he said, no. And I said, well, let me work part-time. And he said, there's no such thing. And I said, okay, then I'm quitting. And he said, well, let me see. And he called me back in after they talked to the provost and the the university president. And they said, okay. So I became kind of, you know, a part-time researcher. I still teach a class every year. And then I really try to make my work accessible and get out there and start conversations about important things. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. And, you know, I, I have a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about, but I'll, I'll try. I know we're, we're, I'm really mindful of your time. So I'm just going to hit you with some random questions and we'll see how we go. Okay. Shoot. Yeah, let's do it. So the first one is like I've watched your TED talk so many times. Is it? I think it's one of the most viewed ever TED talks. Is that right? I think so. It's true. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it is crazy. So, first of all, how did that come about? Like, how, how did how did TED get in touch with you and and say they want you to do a TED talk? And how, how did that all come about? And and how much preparation went into your talk? Because it was just amazing. I have to say, like, it was really get. It's just so, like, so deeply. You know, I, I can see why it's, it's such an emotional talk and it really hits home for so many people for the world. You know, this is such a, this is the story of this TED talk is such an important constant lesson for me as an entrepreneur. It's, and it's a painful lesson because the truth is they called me from TEDx Houston. It was the first time we'd had TEDx in Houston. The curators were these really young kind of, they run culture map here. Javier Fadul calls and says, look, you want to open up TEDx Houston? It's at U of H, University of Houston, where you teach. And I was like, yes. And then for the first time in my career, when I said, what do you want me to talk about? He said, I don't care, have fun and be awesome. (laughs) And it was the first time that an event organizer was not totally prescriptive with me about what I could say and not say. And so the, the day before that event, I was in Maui with 50 CEOs from Silicon Valley. Mm. And on this long flight, eight hour flight back to Houston, I'm sitting with my husband and I said, I'm going to do something really, and I'd been talking with these, these CEOs from Silicon Valley about courageous leadership and about being brave and vulnerability. And, and I said, you know what, I'm going to just put my money where my mouth is and I'm going to do something extremely experimental and scary for me tomorrow during this TED talk. And he's like, my husband's like, oh shit, what? Um, and I said, I'm going to be vulnerable while I'm talking about vulnerability. And he's like, oh, that sounds terrible. And I was like, it does, but I'm going to try it because look, here's the deal. It's 500 people. It's U of H. What do I have to lose? Mm. And so I go, and for the first time, rather than like my own armor in my life is like researcher armor, like I'll talk about variables, mitigating self-conscious affect, you know? And so for the first time, I just said, look, here's the deal. Vulnerability is hard. It's broken my heart. It killed me. I had to go get a therapist. It sucked, but this is why I think we need to do it. And this is what I'm learning from the research. And it was just really honest. 
And when I got home, I was like, oh my God, that did suck. And I, I don't know that I'll ever do that again. Well, I had no idea it was being recorded. Oh. And yeah. And so long story, kind of still long, you know, six months later, Chris Anderson, who curates the Big Ted site said, we're putting this on the Big Ted site. I was like, oh my God, you can't. And he's like, we're doing it. It's going to be great. My husband's like, don't worry. No one will watch it. And then it just went viral. And it's such a good lesson to me that that was me feeling like, what do I have to lose? I'm going to put my heart out there. I'm going to do, I'm going to experiment. If I fail, it's okay. If I don't try, it's not okay. Um, And I'm just going to kind of go for it. And the more successful I've become, the scarier being vulnerable and real feels because now I feel like I've got more to lose. And the struggle of, of feeling that, but knowing that if I don't stay vulnerable and authentic and innovative, I will definitely lose out is such a hard struggle. Mm. So like, like as an entrepreneur, you know, what role can vulnerability play? I think it's everything. I mean, entrepreneurship is vulnerable by definition. I mean, the the definition of vulnerability from the data is uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. And if you're not experiencing, you know, if you're not experiencing uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure, you're not an entrepreneur. Like that's by definition kind of what we do and who we are. And so the question becomes, are you embracing vulnerability as kind of the superpower of entrepreneurial endeavors? Are are you pretending like you're not? And are you armoring up and trying to play it safe while building something brave? Mm. Cause yeah, look, um, you know, I think, yeah, you're right. Like as an entrepreneur, you, you have to make yourself vulnerable. You have to put you out there, you have yourself out there. Like I remember when I first started Founder, and this is my first serious business, I knew nothing about apps, knew nothing about publishing, nothing about interviewing, editing, you name it, started by myself. And I was ashamed to tell people about it. Like I even remember the first issue of the magazine, I didn't even put my my face in the editor's letter because I was ashamed that we weren't a big magazine and, and I wanted to kind of convince people we were, which is kind of crazy thinking back. Like three years later, I I laugh at that, but like it is so true. So I guess, you know, what practical things, because I know we, as entrepreneurs, a lot of our audience would be feeling this, this shame, this, you know, imposter syndrome, this like, you know, not wanting to ask for help even like there's a lot of people that don't want to ask for help. And I think that's so important. You You have to have mentors. You have to learn from others. You have to put yourself out there and, and be prepared to say, I don't know the answers. You know, what, what things can entrepreneurs do to to be able to overcome and and it's not like it's going to you know do these things and it's going to go away forever it's always going to be there right but how do you manage it you know I think the first thing is it's so I mean let me tell you I so relate to not putting your picture on the first letter from the editor because you know my first book was self-published my second yeah my second book failed and it failed because I felt so much shame having to self-publish because I couldn't find an editor or an agent that was willing to take a chance on shame because it's such a tough topic. So I borrowed money and self-published my first book and it did really well. And so when Penguin offered to buy it and republish it, 
the first, my first response was, I will have nothing to do with the promotion and unsavory selling of this book because now I'm a real author with a real publisher and I'm going to show everybody who laughed at me when I self-published. I'm going to show all my academic peers who gave me such shit about it. Um, I'm going to show everyone. And that book completely failed. And, you know, the first actionable thing that I would say is do not ever expect anyone to put value on something that you're not putting value on. I get that self-promotion is uncomfortable, but if you build something you believe in and you can't get excited about it and you can't celebrate it and you can't get loud about it and talk about it and invite people to look at it or try it or use it, don't expect anyone else to do that for you because people will take a cue about how excited they should get about something based on how excited the founder is. And so if you're going to build something or make something or produce something and then sit back and hedge your bets, like I'm not going to get too big, you know, I'm not going to put myself out there too much in case this doesn't work. You have just sealed your faith that it will not work. It's so hard. It's so vulnerable. But I can tell you that as someone who has, you know, really experienced a lot of success and my very fair share of failure, when I look back on the failures, like that first book, where my effort was half-hearted, half-ass. That failure hurts so much more. It's so much deeper than the times where I did something, I put myself out there, I told everyone how excited I was, I asked people to support me and buy in and be excited with me, and it failed. That did not hurt as much. Because people came up to me and said, you know what, that didn't work out, but man, you were ballsy. That was awesome. I was totally Mm. inspired. Yeah, so people respect that courage, and I and I wanted to talk to you like about courage because I think you know some of the most successful entrepreneurs they're extremely courageous, and you know you said you said yourself that you were talking to you know fifty CEOs in Silicon Valley about courageous leadership. You know what what can we learn from from you know what what you had to say to those fifty CEOs from Silicon Valley? You know, one of my favorite stories from that that event was after I finished speaking one morning, um, this guy came running up to me and he had just, you know, just probably maybe six months before I received his first series funding. Mm. And he was like, Oh my God, I completely, I'm not vulnerable at all. I believe in what you're saying. In fact, I'm just going to tell the VCs, look, I'm in over my head. I don't know what I'm doing and we're bleeding money. And he's like, what do you think? And I'm like, I think that's like the worst idea that I've ever heard. (laughs) I think that you're not going to get any more money is what I think. And he's like, I, he's like, I don't get it. You just said to be vulnerable. And I said, mm. you heard what you wanted to hear because right after I said that, I said this, the important equation to remember is vulnerability minus boundaries is not vulnerability. And so when we're thinking about what is vulnerability, how do we show up and be seen? How do we tell the truth about our experiences? We always have to keep in mind our role. And so it's not appropriate in front of your investors and people he's brought over from other companies to help him fulfill this dream. It's not appropriate to say, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I'm in over my head and we're bleeding money. But imagine this. I mean, like, I think this is a great example. Mm. Imagine Nathan, if you had two years worth of wages tied up in this guy's new company, right? Mm. Wouldn't you be praying every day that he's sitting across from someone saying, look, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm in over my head. Wouldn't you be praying that he's asking for help? Mm, That's right. Right. And so vulnerability is 
sharing our stories and what our experiences are with the right people around the right issues. So what I would hope if I was an investor in his company is that he's sitting across from a mentor, from a, you know, a colleague, from someone who's got more experience from a finance person and saying, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like I'm in over my head. We're bleeding money and I don't know what to do next because the only alternative for entrepreneurs who find themselves. And if you're a good entrepreneur, you will find yourself in over your head and not knowing what to do next because that means you're scaling, that means growth, that means change. And in those moments, to sit across and ask for help because the only alternative to asking for help when that happens is just keep grinding harder at what you're already doing. And that always leads to ruin. Mm. And when you talk about you know vulnerability and, and courageous leadership, I have a question, you know, when, when you're a leader of your team, you know, the CEO of your company, and, and I guess your team is, is relying on you for certain things, if things aren't going well, should you be prepared like that situation? Like, should you be prepared to tell your team that things aren't going well? Or do you put on that brave face? Like, what do you do there? What you, oh man, it's like, this is so personal for me because, you know, I started off as I was like a girl with a book and a blog and, you know, now yeah. I have a team of 20 people. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. I, you know, we have this huge business. Um, we have very large strategic partners. I mean, it's like I'm running a company, which is really interesting. I think it was the universe's way of saying my whole new piece of research is on brave leadership and courageous cultures and organizations. And I think it was the universe's way of kind of kicking my ass and saying, we'll make sure you live this before you write about it, sister. Um, you know, I think the question is this always, whether you're trying to figure out how much or what to share with your team, your partner, a child, the question about vulnerability is always this first, get really still and examine your intention. Is your intention to tell your team, look, things are bad. We're not meeting revenue projections. Um, you know, I'm having to take out a lien on my house and we're trying to get a line of credit and things are not going well. Is your intention to scare them, to shame them? Is it to motivate them? What is your intention and is sharing what is the best strategy for executing against that intention. So we just had a failure, kind of Q3-ish, I guess Q3, Q4 mm. of last year. We we tried to do this new project. We really put ourselves out there and it didn't work. And, you know, I have a you know significant profile in some areas. So when I try to do something that doesn't work, it's not like I'm a widget factory and people are like, oh, those damn widgets. They're like, oh man, Brene Brown, you know, I am the widget. Um, and so... It was really painful and hard for me. And so for me, and I think the culture we've built is very much, I don't care if we fail, as long as we clean it up, learn from it, embed the learning and don't repeat it. I really don't care if we fail. Like I, in fact, I have tolerance for failure and embedding failure on my performance evaluations for my team. Like if you, if you can't fail, you're, you're not going to be good as a senior leader with me. Because if all we're doing is what we already know how to do well, we're never going to grow. But in this case, it was <laughs> it was a tough failure with um, a couple of pretty profoundly dropped balls. And so I remember like really I was like, I think I was listening to like ACDC or something like really getting ready to go into this meeting and be like, 
we suck and y'all, you know, and so, and so I was like, I'm just going to tell them the truth. And I'm like, wow, what is your intention behind this? And I realized my intention was I wanted them to feel the pain that I was feeling. And I thought to myself, is that the right way to move a team through it? And I thought, you know what? It's not the right way. What the right way is not to absorb the pain or the hurt from a failure, but to share it in a way that's meaningful and leads to growth. And mm. so I sat down and said, this is all I said, we're in a really tough place right now. This project did not work out as any of us intended. And I have to say, I'm really struggling with it. Um, I'm really struggling with some shame and some frustration and giving myself a hard time. And I'd just like to go around the room and talk about, before we dig into what went wrong, I just want to see how everyone's feeling about it. I just want to check in. And what I learned very quickly as we went around the room is that I didn't need to make them feel bad about it. We all felt bad about it. And so when it came back to me, I said, okay, you know, we're in some struggle. Now it's time that we, this is where we have to really lean on each other. And let's dig into what went wrong. Let's talk about accountability, not blame. And let's talk about learnings and what we can do different next time. And by the time this meeting was over, granted it was two hours, but we were close and we built something new and better, understood where we had gone wrong and we grew and it was amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's an awesome story. Okay. Well, look, um, I, look, Brene, we have to work towards wrapping up. I have a couple more questions for you. Sure. You know, entrepreneurs, you know, we're supposed to be tough. We have to put on that brave face. I still want to know, like, like, how do you know when to be tough, when not to be tough? Here's the thing. I don't want to work with an entrepreneur who puts on a brave face. I want to work with an entrepreneur who is brave. And that means not a brave face, but who is actually courageous, which means they're willing to have hard conversations and doing it, do it in a respectful, tender way. Um, they're willing to ask for help. They're, they're willing to set up a culture where risk, innovation, there's a tolerance and an excitement about it. So I don't believe in the brave face. I believe in really brave people. And that means vulnerability. That means saying you don't know when you don't know. That means like, wow, that's a really good question. Everyone's looking at me right now. I don't have the answer. I can bullshit them, <laughs> which is comfortable. Or I can be courageous and say, I don't know the answer. Give me a beat and I'll try to work on it. But before I do that, is there anyone at the table that knows the answer? I don't need, we don't need brave faces running business. We need brave people all the way down to the heart. And I, you know, I would say after studying, you know, this work for 13 years and spending the last five years, very specifically working with entrepreneurs and leaders in fortune 500 companies. I would say the best leaders have three things in common. One, they do discomfort. If you want to be a leader or an entrepreneur and you want to be comfortable, you're in the wrong line of business. There's nothing comfortable about courageous being a courageous leader. Number two, they are very aware of their own emotional landscape and their own emotions and relationships. And they're aware of the emotional landscape of the people who work around them. If you lined up a hundred entrepreneurs in my house right now, which I'm in my office at my house right now, and you ask them, what is the hardest thing you do every day? It would be dealing with people. And you have to have an awareness. The biggest block to good leaders 
is not professional development. It's personal understanding and insight. So you can dismiss vulnerability as a soft skill or as something that's, you know, superfluous or not necessary. But when you dismiss that, you also dismiss any chance I think you have of being a great leader. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That was awesome. Well, look, um, two, two, <laughs> two more questions. No. One, was there, was there any questions that you wanted me to ask you that I haven't asked you yet? I don't think so. Your questions are hard, but they're good. No, I don't think so. Okay. Awesome. And then we'll wrap there and just, you know, I just want to leave it like, you know, with, with a quote, you know, one of your quotes is, is vulnerability is like, I want to quote you, vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. And, you know, wh where's the best place people can find you? Uh, com is my website. And we have a new um, ed tech company, an online learning community where we talk about leadership and daring leadership and leaders rising. And that's at courageworks.com. Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Brene. This has been an amazing conversation. It's my pleasure, and I love what you're doing. Keep doing it. Thank you. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.